0: this series. We started last week called Only Jesus. Only Jesus, because Jesus is the focus, the focus point. He's the focal point of Easter, of Palm Sunday, of the whole thing that we're celebrating in these days, in this season of, of the church calendar. And today is Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he was welcomed by the crowds of his followers, of his disciples, of those who loved him and were loyal to him. And in many ways, they were welcoming him as as someone who they thought was going to restore Israel to her rightful place as a conqueror. And yet he comes in on a donkey. He comes in knowing that he's coming to Jerusalem to die. He's coming to Jerusalem to bear our sicknesses, uh, bear our, our sin, our infirmities. As Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53, as we sung about earlier, Jesus only is our healer, all our sicknesses he bear. In his risen life and fullness, all his members still may share. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem knowing that he is going to die, die for sin, die for all of the effects of Sin and this morning we want to focus on not just Jesus as our Savior but Jesus as our healer. It's the practical application in many ways of this idea that Jesus only is our Savior, in that He heals us. He heals us ultimately in heaven. We'll be, new, we'll have new bodies, resurrection bodies as Jesus had. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death. But He also cares for us now in this life as well. Before we jump into the passage in James chapter 5, I, j- I just want to say this, though, that healing is a difficult subject in that there's been a lot of different things, and sometimes contradictory things, said about it. And some of the passages are a bit difficult to understand at times. Sometimes we, we, we fall, there are two extremes that people fall into. Sometimes they fall into an extreme of, of uh, what it ends up being spiritual abuse, people come away feeling guilty because they weren't healed. We don't want to fall into that extreme, but the other extreme is that we avoid the subject of healing entirely. and We don't want to do either of those things because Scripture doesn't do either of those things. And so We want to work together this morning to try and understand what it is That the scriptures say about healing, and particularly from James, what he's telling us about healing and how it works and how we can trust the Lord for it, how we can trust Jesus as our healer. Healing is a gift. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a gift that ought to turn our eyes to the giver. And so if healing doesn't do that, whether the Lord heals us or doesn't heal us, if it doesn't turn our eyes to him, at the end of the day, something's not quite right. Either with us or our understanding of the scriptures, healing is a gift that's meant to turn our eyes to the giver because he's compassionate. He loves us. He cares for us now and in an eternal sense. And healing is also a foretaste of heaven. And I love that idea of a foretaste. Sometimes I I walk in the door coming home from work. Right now I walk downstairs from my office because I can't go to work. Um, and, and and the the smell, this aroma of food that she's cooking, just I, I smell it and I go, oh, that smells wonderful! I can't wait for the meal. And healing now in these days is is a foretaste. It's the aroma of heaven of what Jesus is eventually going to do in a definitive way. He will heal us of all our sicknesses of all diseases. He will he's gonna he's killed sin, but he'll kill it. He'll kill it. Kill it. Finally, ultimately, in that sense. And we won't have to deal with its effects anymore. And so healing, physical healing now, is a foretaste of heaven. And so James, in chapter 5, deals with this. And the first thing that he's going to talk to us about is that in sickness, we need to seek the Lord. In sickness, we need to seek the Lord. And the second thing that he's going to tell us is that actually we need to seek Him through prayer... And he's going to tell us at the end how we can pray well. How we pray well. And so in verses 13 and 14, he begins and he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And So the first thing that James says is, listen, in sickness, seek the Lord. Actually, first he says, is anyone among you suffering? I suspect he's got something other than physical sickness in mind, because he deals with that in a second. So any other kind of suffering. Is anyone suffering in a general sense, a specific sense, a circumstantial sense? Pray. Let him pray to the Lord. Is, is anyone cheerful? Is life going well? Is, has God been good to you? Has he given you blessing? Whether that's spiritual or physical, material, Let him give praise. Let him praise the Lord. Let him sing praise, even, James said. In that sense, in every circumstance, whether good or bad, we ought to seek the Lord. And then James gets specific, and he says, And is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Here's here's the specific way that James says you ought to seek the Lord. He says, Let the sick person call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him. You'll notice that the one who is sick is the one who makes the first step. They call for the elders. There's a sense here in in which the person is, is actually pretty seriously sick because they can't go to the elders to be prayed for. The elders have to come to them but they make the first move. Can I suggest to you that elders aren't uh, you're of, of the local church aren't omniscient. We don't know everyone w- What when, when, when someone becomes sick. And so you need to, to tell us. You need to make that first move. I want to suggest to you as well that, that the person is actually pretty sick because they can't get out of bed to go see the elders. I don't want to say that the qualification for being able to call the elders to come pray for you is that you have to not be able to get out of bed. That's, we're not, we don't want to say that. But the sense is here that the sick person is, is pretty sick. It's pretty sick. And they're making the first move. They're stepping out in faith by calling the elders to come and pray for them. Why the elders? The elders are qualified men From 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul lays out the qualifications. And from Titus chapter 1, they're qualified men who have been given the responsibility and the spiritual authority for the local church, for their local church. And each local church ought to have elders. And they've been given this as a specific responsibility, a ministry to pray for those who are sick in the church, for the body of Christ. Because when one suffers, all suffer in the body. When one suffers, all suffer suffer i do want to clarify that you know anyone any follower of Jesus can pray for healing but it is a specific ministry of the elders. And it's normal in a time of crisis, like a time of of, of serious illness, to call on those who have spiritual authority in your life. And, And that's why it's important that you're part of a local church so that there are elders who have that authority, who are responsible spiritually for you in a sense. They're shepherds of the flock, under shepherds, under the shepherd who is Jesus. And so James says, That's how we ought to do. How we ought to seek the Lord in sickness. Call upon the elders and let them pray over the one who is sick. You'll notice that they're the ones who are praying, not the one who is sick, and they're going to anoint the sick person with oil. In those days, oil, olive oil, had medicinal purposes. It was used as for for, for, to treat sickness. Uh, But I want to suggest to you that. Olive oil, anointing with oil in this case, was a symbolic thing, a symbolic way of of for the elders of saying, we're going to consecrate this person, we're going to entrust this person to the Lord. And for the sick person accepting that symbol is a way of saying, I surrender myself to the Lord. We sung about it earlier, I surrender all. I'm willing to accept whatever the Lord has for me. Be that a yes in response to healing, be that a no, be that a wait and trust me. I'm willing to accept whatever he has. It's a sign of consecration. And they pray in the name of the Lord. That's really important. It's really important that James specifies that because it's in Jesus' name in a general sense that we can come before God, come before his throne to request help and receive mercy in our time of need. It's by what Jesus has done, by his name, in his name, that we come before God. And so it's because of who Jesus is, but it's also because of God's character, who he is. He is Jehovah Rapha. He reveals himself as such in Exodus chapter 15. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. It's in his nature. He's the creator. He made us. He knows how to fix everything that's broken and heal every sickness. He is Jehovah Rapha. He can heal all physical, emotional, and spiritual wounds of his people. It's because of his character, and it's because of the cross, it's because of what Jesus did. He came as a man. He, he bore all of our sin. He became sin, and he dealt with it on the cross, including all of the effects of sin, which includes sickness and disease. He dealt with it. That's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53, and we did sing about it earlier. He bore all of our sicknesses. He carried our infirmities. He dealt with them. And lastly, we come to him in his name because he was resurrected. We're going to celebrate that next week. He was resurrected. He conquered it. He killed death. He laid death in its grave. And as a result, we have his spirit living in us. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment on heaven. And healing is one of the gifts, the benefits, the blessings that we get from the Holy Spirit. So... Let me ask you this question. What circumstance are you in right now and are you turning to the Lord through it? Whether in good times or hard times or in sickness, are you turning to the Lord? And if you're sick, if you're sick, Jesus really does care for you and he's worth turning to. Can okay, I encourage you if you're if you're a if mem- you if you're, if, you're a, if you attend City Church, Call on the elders. We'd love to come pray for you. If you attend a different church and you're just joining us today, can I encourage you to call on the elders of your local church to have them come pray for you if you're sick and you need that support. The second thing that James says to us in verses 15 and the first half of 16 is that the way in which we ought to seek the Lord, and he's already said it, is through prayer. The way in which we ought to seek the Lord in times of sickness is through prayer. Now, we need to be really careful here, because these verses sometimes get skewed to to say that, actually, if the person isn't healed, it's because the person who was prayed for didn't pray hard enough. They didn't have enough faith. But we need to be really clear that, actually, the person who's sick isn't the one who's supposed to be doing the praying. It's the elders. The elders are doing the praying. The elders are doing the praying. And actually, the sick person has already acted in faith by calling upon the elders. They've acted in obedience. The prayer of faith, the prayer offered in faith, is the the prayer of the elders. What can we say about the faith in which they offered up that prayer? I think we can say two really important things, two important qualities about that prayer. And we're going to go back to James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4. James deals a lot with this idea of faith throughout his epistle. And he says in James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you go through hard times, count it joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the prayer of faith is a faith that God is able to heal; He wants to heal. But it also has a bigger picture that often God uses suffering trials in our lives to make us fully mature, to look like Jesus, and that's the goal of the Christian life: is to look like. Jesus. And God uses suffering to do that. It's, it's what I like to call a Romans 828 mindset. God uses all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, for the good of those who love him and whom he is predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God uses all things. And so the prayer that's offered up in faith by the elders is a prayer that has that mindset. Lord, we're willing to accept whatever answer you give because we know that you use all things for good. We know that you use all things for good, but we also know that you are able and willing to heal. There's nothing stopping him from healing in terms of his ability to do it. They have a Romans 8, 28 mindset. James continues in chapter one in verses five through eight. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that it will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the second thing that we can say about the faith that that is in which this prayer is offered up is that it's not a double-minded faith. It's not a double-minded faith. The idea is that it's a faith that is willing to accept whatever answer the Lord gives. He always answers, but sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait and trust me, or no, trust me. And even when he says yes, he still wants us to trust him. When I was a kid, I used to go to my parents and say, Mommy, Daddy, I have a question, but I want you to say yes first. Before I ask you the question. Because there's only one answer I'm willing to accept. And if they wouldn't do that, I'd go to the other parent and try the same thing. And that's what James is saying about this faith. If we're going to ask God for something and say, Lord, we know you're good, help. It's Be willing to accept. It's a faith that is willing to accept whatever answer he gives. And the opposite of that is a double-minded faith. There's only one answer I want from God. And so the faith in which this prayer is offered up, the prayer offered in faith, is a faith that knows that God uses all things for good and is willing to accept any answer he gives. Because it's good. It's the right answer because he knows this prayer of faith, says James, if you go back to James chapter 5 with me, is, it has two outcomes. He says in verse 15, it says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, he will be forgiven. There's two outcomes. The first is that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick now this verse is it it strikes us as it sounds like a guarantee the prayer of faith if you pray the right the right prayer it will heal the person who is sick automatically just like that that's what it sounds like but i want to suggest to you that the guarantee here is not that there will be healing but if when there is healing we are guaranteed that it's the lord who did it whether it's It's natural healing, the body healing itself, whether it's through modern medicine or whether it's a supernatural healing. In every case, if healing happens, the Lord is the one who did it. That's why James says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. All healing is a direct work of God. But you'll notice that we get to participate in that by praying, through prayer, through trusting the Lord. And there's some mystery there that God wants to work, wants to work in, in in, tandem with the prayers of his people. That's what John says in his first epistle, that if we pray in line with God's will, we know that he hears us. And so he loves to answer the prayers of his children because he's a good Father. So ultimately, it's not the prayer, but the Lord who heals, because God can't be controlled or manipulated. Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that healing is a gift. Have you ever tried to manipulate or force someone into giving you a gift? It's not a gift anymore, is it? And so what James is saying here is the guarantee is that when healing happens, we know That it was God who who did it. And therefore we can turn to him in thanks, in trust. Sometimes his answer, he always answers. Sometimes his answer is no or wait. And we know that he only gives good gifts. His answers are all good gifts. They're the right thing for us. But we still wrestle through trusting him. And so, in whatever his answer is, especially I think when it's no or wait, he always gives grace and peace to persevere. Lord, I, I believe, but help me believe. He helps us to believe, he gives us the strength to trust him. And ultimately, that prayer for healing will be answered in heaven. We know that, because Jesus rose from the dead and he had a new body, and, and all through the New Testament, Jesus told us, Paul tells us, we're going to get a new body like that as well. No more death, no more suffering, no more pain. Ultimately, the prayer will be answered. If you call the elders to pray for you, you should expect them to ask you how they can pray for you. Not just for healing generally, but, but specifically, what is it that you want the Lord to do for you? So that they can be praying specifically for you in that way. That they can be on the same page with you about what it is you want prayer for. Oh I, I'd like to pray for you for healing for me. Okay, what do you want the Lord specifically? What do you want him to heal? What do you want him to do? You should expect that so that they can pray well for you. The second outcome of this prayer, the prayer of faith, is that if the person, the sick person has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's a guarantee as well. He will be forgiven. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he doesn't change, and he's just. And he will forgive us our sins. Any who come to Jesus in repentance, who confess their sins, will be forgiven. We can make a wrong assumption here. Because James seems to intertwine sickness and sin. And so sometimes people want to say, well actually you're sick because... God's punishing you for something. You caught COVID, and so uh, actually God's punishing you for this sin over here. He's judging you. That's not what James is saying. Jesus is very clear about that with the disciples in John chapter 9. When they see a blind man and they say to Jesus, Hey, who's sinned, this guy or his parents? In other words, who's God? This guy's getting judged for somebody's sin. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This man was blind so that the glory of God might be revealed, as I'm about to do, as I heal him. prove who I am but sometimes God does use sickness in order to help us see places where he's speaking to us he speaks to us through our sickness and our pain four years ago I was went through several months of extreme sickness pretty severe illness. I, I was bedridden. And the Lord through that time helped me to begin to see that actually I wasn't the compassionate father that I should be. I was too harsh on my children. My wife noticed the change as he softened me. As I got to know him as my father more deeply through my sickness, he showed me that actually he wanted to make me into a better father as well. He used the sickness, he spoke to me through my pain in order to, to reveal something to me that was hindering my relationship with my children and ultimately hindering my relationship with him. Sometimes he uses sickness, pain, in order to speak to us. And so the second thing that you should expect the elders to ask you when they come to pray for you is, is hey, is the, how has the Lord been speaking to you through your sickness? Is there anything that's hindering your relationship with him? Is there anything that's hindering your relationship with those around you? Your family, your church, friends, colleagues. James gives us the application then for this in the next verse. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. Confess your sins to one another. This isn't about about standing up in the middle of the church and confessing your sins to everyone. There's an importance of having accountable relationships. One or two people that, that you that, that they ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing with the Lord? Is there unconfessed sin there? Maybe you have some unconfessed sin, some something that you've been avoiding, that you need to make right with the Lord. You need to talk to him about it. Maybe it's something that you feel that you need to you need to tell someone who you're accountable to. That you need to work through this with the Lord as well. And, and you notice there's a horizontal aspect. Pray for one another so that you may be healed and confess to one another. We need to make sure that we're right with one another in our horizontal relationships because the vertical relationship with God is connected to the horizontal relationship amongst believers, amongst people. And it will be forgiven. That's the promise here. That's the promise in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. It will be forgiven when you confess. The third thing that James tells us, if I can just sum up, he he says that in sickness we need to seek the Lord. And the way that we ought to seek the Lord, the second thing is that we ought to seek Him through prayer. And he concludes with this idea that here's how to pray well. We We need to know how to pray well. And he says this, in verse the second half of verse 16, he says, The prayer of a power of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And so James lays out for us how to pray well. I just want to note that this is, these are not ingredients. This isn't a fetish that you little rabbit's foot that you pull out and you start rubbing. You go, okay, I'm going to start, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to have to pray for healing here in a second. So I'm going to start doing these things so that God will have to answer my prayer. That's not what this is. This is about things, how, how we can trust the Lord well through prayer. How we can trust the Lord well through prayer. And so here's what it ain't. Here's what it ain't. James says in verse 17, "Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was someone who was revered, a spiritual superhero. And, and James says, "Listen, he was just like you and I. He was the same. He was no different. He was filled with the spirit. He trusted God, but he, was, he had the same nature. He wasn't a spiritual superhero. And so in order for our prayers to be answered, in order for God to hear us, we don't have to be a spiritual superhero. There's something special about Elijah. The second thing, and I just want to reiterate this because we can really do a lot of damage with this, is back from verse 14, is that praying well is not about how much faith you have. It's not about the quantity. In fact, actually, if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, he healed when someone showed the smallest sign of faith in him he healed them. He responded. He always had time for faith. And so it's not about quantity. It's not even necessarily about quality. It's about in whom your faith is. It's in Jesus that we trust. And he's always got time for faith. That's what it is. You don't have to be a spiritual superhero. You don't need to, be, to have a certain amount of it. But here's what James says. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We need to pursue righteousness. That doesn't mean that you have to be perfect and and be legalistic and I have to do all these things so that God will answer my prayer. No, righteousness in scripture is about loving and trusting God, loving and trusting Jesus and walking in obedience to him we need to pursue righteousness pursue Jesus be hung we need to hunger and thirst for him pursue righteousness says james the other two things are back from are back in earlier in james james says in chapter 1 we talked about it earlier don't be double minded in order to pray well we need to trust that god knows best that he only gives good gifts and that every answer any answer he gives is the right one for us in our situation. Yes, no, or maybe we can trust him with it. And so in order to pray well, don't be double-minded. James says in chapter four in verse two and three, he says, "You." You you do not have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend it on your passions. And so the third way the third way to pray well is to actually ask. God loves it when we come to him with our prayers and our petitions. He's a good father, and he wants his children to come to him with their requests. And so James says praying well is about asking and asking with right intentions as well. And lastly, to reiterate this one again as well, pray with a Romans 8 mindset. Pray with a Romans 8 mindset that God knows best and that actually, even though we don't know his will, he's put his spirit in us who does know his will. And Romans 8 says that that when we pray, we don't know how we ought to pray, but the spirit fills up those words for us with aches and groans. He expresses those things to the Lord on our behalf when we don't know how we ought to pray as we ought we don't because we don't know ultimately what God's sovereign will is. And so praying well is about being filled with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. As we conclude, as we close, Can I just say that this is one of the reasons that City Church, that we want to be prayer dependent. That's one of our core values. We are prayer dependent. I've wrestled with this text, with these ideas throughout the week. Because the theology, a wrong theology of healing has done so much damage to so many in the church. But I don't want to abandon the idea that God is able and does heal here and now in tangible, physical ways, sometimes supernaturally, sometimes through medicine, sometimes the body heals itself in natural ways. But it's always him, and he does do it. He's able. I don't want to abandon that. It's here in the scriptures. But actually, as we look through these texts, perhaps you've gotten the senses I have that actually it's more about our trust in the Lord, our relationship with him as we come to him in prayer, as we trust him, whatever answer he's willing to give. And we need to hold those two things in tension. He is able to heal, and he does heal. And sometimes he does it by supernatural means. But at the end of the day, we need to trust him. And we do that through prayer. We do that through prayer. And so what circumstances are you in this morning? Turning to the Lord in them. And if you're sick, Perhaps you need to call on the elders of your local church. If that's city church, wonderful. Drop us an email, give us a call, shoot us a text. We'll come and talk to you. Do you have unconfessed sin in your life that you need to deal with? Something that the Lord is, is putting his finger on and saying, that. Is there something hindering your relationship with him? Hindering it with others? And he's putting his finger on it. That right there. I want to deal with that. It's hurting you. It's not, it's not for your good and it doesn't glorify me. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Because the Spirit is the one who gives life to our prayers, who helps us to pray in accordance with the will of God. In accordance with the will of God. If you're someone who doesn't know Jesus personally yet, if you're still exploring who he is, and maybe you're a little bit intrigued, a little bit cautious about this idea of Jesus as our healer. I've had two personal experiences in the last for four or five years. The first I mentioned earlier is that, you know, I was pretty sick for a couple of months. The elders of my local church, I called upon them. They prayed for me, they anointed me with, with oil. And I wasn't healed supernaturally. God said, wait, and eventually the doctors changed my medication and I got better. I went into remission. I'm not sure he healed me finally, ultimately. But I'm in remission. I haven't been sick in four years. But it was a tough time. And then two years ago, my wife and I, we lost a little girl. Five days old, the Lord took her home to be with him. And you can bet your life, we prayed like crazy. And the elders prayed for her. And Jesus said, no. I know best. I'm going to take her home. And if you're someone who is exploring Jesus this morning, man, (sighs) if you're someone who's exploring Jesus this morning, I can tell you that whether he heals or not, he will be with you through it every step of the way. And he will never leave you or forsake you, not in this life, not in the next.